Welcome to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. At Evolution NHS, we are committed to helping people and NHS organisations realise their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. We collaborate with NHS organisations to help them build high-performing digital teams. We achieve this by creating and sharing insights into the ever-evolving NHS and digital industries best practices. I am Ellie from Evolution Recruitment Solutions and today I am your host. The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect official position or policy of their organisation. We're going to get started with introductions. So Billy, if we could start with you first, please. Hi, uh, I'm Billy Gannon. I'm uh, Head of Data Analytics in the Matter Private Hospital in Dublin. I joined the Matter Private about three and a half years ago, uh, just as COVID was breaking out. Um, so it's very been a very interesting time to to join uh, and to to um, my first taste of healthcare. Um, previous to that, I worked as a a business intelligence and data analytics consultant for about five or six years. And before that, I was working actually in the UK. I used to work for um, LV, um, Liverpool and Victoria. I worked for Hobbycraft and I worked for Nectar as well. Um, so I had a fairly kind of varied background uh, coming to um, to healthcare and to the matter private. Um, it's certainly been a very interesting, very challenging uh, three years. And I'm, uh, I've learned a huge amount and hoping to learn a lot more as well. Thanks, Thanks Billy. Sean, over to you. Yeah, hi, I'm, I'm Sean Hessian. I'm the, the Deputy Director of Information and Analytics at the Royal Free London. Um, so I've, I've worked for the NHS for about 15 years now. So in um, information management roles um, around London, basically. So uh, Chell West, Gosh, UCLH, Whittington, and now the Royal Free. Um, so yeah, so very much, I guess the opposite of you guys are where um, that's my source of experience um but yeah not really a thought about leaving um yeah I, I like working for the nhs i feel like i get a lot out of it rewarding as well so um yeah that's that's for me thanks sean and chris over to you hi yeah uh, chris Eden. i'm the um uh, delivery director for our data and analytics strategy at guys and st thomas's uh, nhs foundation trust um i joined uh, the trust back in july of 2022 my first role in the, in the national health service uh prior to that i was in operational roles uh, at universities uh, as an ops director um and previous uh, via uh, the London Olympic Games and uh, via um, a role in an in a independent school. Uh, prior to that, I served uh, 19 years in the Royal Navy uh, as an officer in the, uh, in the Navy. Um, so whilst not a deep-seated data professional, I've been using data a lot uh, in all of my roles, uh, particularly in the university roles where we generate and produce a lot of data. Um, attracted to the NHS because I wanted to continue sort of a public service ethos, wanted to change. Um, and I thought Guys and St Thomas's would be a, a good place to start. Thank you very much. Okay, so we're going to get started with the questions. Um, so Billy, you asked, we're changing our patient administration system. Is this something you've done in your trust? And if so, what challenges did you have with regard to data analytics, business intelligence and reporting? Um, so if you could just give us a bit of context as to why you want to discuss that and then we'll go around to the panel. Yeah, sure. Um, so we've been using the same system for about the last 15 or 16 years. 
Um, so, you know, we've used it in perhaps some idiosyncratic ways. Um, and we've got our own ways of, of operating. And with that, we've got a whole range of different reports. It's a, a jungle of reports that go along with it, um, which, you know, have been built up over the years and uh, our, our different management and our staff and our executive teams and whatnot, they've become reliant on certain ways of looking and understanding that data. So we're now going into a new, i say, an electronic health record uh, system and um, and I think that's going to provide us with new kind of new views of how our activity is, perhaps better ways of looking at how our activities are, how our patient care, the patient flow and the patient journey works in our hospital. Um, so it'd be interesting to kind of see how I think one of the challenges we've got is we've been looking at our data and our activity in a particular way for the last 15 years or so. Um, and when you start to introduce new concepts and new ways of doing things, how do you kind of, what kind of, how, which ways have you bridged that kind of gap in the past? Or if that, if that's, uh, if that's something you've come across before. Um, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Billy. Um, yeah. Sean, over to you. Oh, sorry, Chris, do you want to go? Um, yeah, sorry, I wasn't sure if it was hands up or not. Um, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> hands up is it, perfect. Let's give it, it a hands yeah. up. <laughs> um, so Billy, I mean, that's a really, important point and one that's being faced by multiple healthcare organizations uh, across the uk and ireland and 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 uh, across europe i, I assume mm-hmm. um at gstt we have literally just gone live with an ehr system uh, mm-hmm. uh it's it's in the public domain so i can say the word um uh, we've gone live with epic um Ooh, and it's uh, it's been a joint go live with KCH King's College Hospital. Um, so we have KCH and GSTT uh, as well as our pathology provider Synovis on the same uh, instance of Epic. Um, mm-hmm. I think in terms of patient numbers affected, um, it's the largest single go live in the world. Um, in terms of Epic, um, other sites have gone live with 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 more hospitals at once. But in terms of patient numbers, I think we we've hit the largest in the world. It's been an absolutely um, incredible thing to witness in terms of the amount of effort, hard work that's been put in by colleagues at, the, at both trusts to get us to a state where we could go live, and we went live across all of our nine hospital sites uh, and our community sites uh, on the 5th of October. And um, I'd be lying if I didn't say that there had been hiccups and problems and issues, but overall, I think we've achieved a safe and effective uh, go live um, uh, and continue to deliver clinical care throughout the front door of all the hospitals remained open. Um, but it required a gargantuan amount of planning and effort um, mm-hmm. which I think is very easy to underestimate. Yes. Um, and I'm not saying we did underestimate, underestimate it, but mm-hmm. it, it is easy to. I think in terms of reporting, I'm not directly involved in that space, but mm-hmm. my colleagues have uh, put a lot of thought into how we're going to do this. And I think some of the things you need to think about, particularly if you're buying a system from the US, um, yes. either Epic or Cerna or, or others, is, mm-hmm. is that the language of healthcare is different. Um, and you've got to go through a translation. How do you how do you 
turn what Epic might call something into what we call it in the NHS. Uh, yeah. And that process can is something you need to really think about carefully and how you're going to do that so that you can produce uh, uh, the right reports at the right time, both externally and the running the hospital reports uh, yeah. as well. Um, I also think you need to bear in mind about, well, in GSTT's case and KCH case, we are replacing something like 60 plus legacy clinical systems. Yeah. What do you do with all of the data that was in those systems? Um, you've got to, you can't lose it. You've got to keep it. So you've got to create some sort of long-term archive uh, yes. for that data set. And you've got to make it accessible again. You've got to make sure it's got the right metadata attached to it. You've got to make sure it's searchable and findable without, you know, people necessarily having to have a PhD in SQL uh, to do it. So, you know, they're the things I think you need to consider early on. And the earlier you mm -hmm. can consider those things, the better. Yes. Um, and it's being clear about what can be achieved on day one, because you won't be able to achieve everything. Um, and then prioritizing what is absolutely essential to keep the hospital safe, to make sure you have a clinical safety case that is that is manageable throughout and also meet the, the, the minimum requirement that, you, that you'll get away with for your external and statutory reports. Uh, and the colleagues here put a lot of effort into, into getting that right. Um, there's work to do, and I don't think you should view a go-live as a single event. It is yeah. That's the day you switch the system on. That's what it means. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you know it is you then don't go through a period of optimization and yeah. and refinement and that's what we're entering now um but as we used to say in the raw navy you know prior planning pre prevents um, poor performance so um that's where the effort needs to go into and yeah. thinking through what could go wrong uh how are you going to deal with it and being transparent across teams uh, is yes. the other thing that I would say. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I think we're finding a lot of those things uh, as we're going along, certainly around the terminology. I mean, one thing we found is uh, in the US, they don't really have a GP um, as you would do in Ireland and the UK. So that's that's kind of a, a different way of looking at it. Yeah, we, we've come across quite a few of them. And and uh, from our experience and what are, we're, we're speaking to other kind of uh, customers of the same, uh, we're using, we're bringing in Meditech and um, we're finding actually those kind of challenges are there as well. It's just like, it's a different terminology, different understandings of, of how things work. Yeah. And in terms of the archive, so, and uh, and how we, we obviously were replacing more than just one system. We're replacing, I think it's 25 or 30 systems overall, which we're, we're replacing with this new EHR system. Um, yeah, we're looking. We are. We're we're going towards uh, to try and archive that through probably a, like, through a data warehouse, mm. um, and and using that type of technique to 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 archive that data. So I'm trying to look at trying to make a, a seamless sort of archive so that we take in new data, and that we can sort of see that in the same way as we've seen our historical data. So we we can do good trending analysis and whatnot. So yeah, like you said, you need a lot of a lot of preparation, a lot of planning, you know, and uh, and I think it's a good point you made there at the end as well, being transparent with people. So that's something which we're trying to do. And um, I think over the next couple of months we'll be, we'll be, I think we'll get a lot of feedback from our end users. So yeah, it'll be, it's interesting. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, thanks Chris. Sorry. Yeah. Sean, have you got anything to add? Yeah, I think um, to, to echo what Chris said as well, I think it's um, it's important that data is 
involved and seen as how important it is from the start um, because there is so much to do with replacing a, an EHR system. Um, I, I was at Gosh when they got Epic, um, so I know what a, a change it is, and it is the same for we we've got Cerna at Royal Free, but it's the same thing. You know, it's mm. huge. If you're replacing an EPR or EHR, then you are replacing lots of systems into one, um, and then you're also changing how people are recording data. They're recording so much more into one system, which is creating all of this data and having that as a plan or a strategy to to get the most out of it so that you can you can actually use that data because it opens up so many possibilities um but often the thought and the resource to to leverage that is 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 underestimated um and i think that they're learning that epic definitely learning that we you know sona are learning that as well so um it's it's having that kind of making yourself your presence felt in in, in many ways from a data perspective and and saying that you know these these are things you've got you've got to think about. Um, yeah. That's the biggest takeaway I've I've had when um, being involved in, and that's part of our data strategy as well is to to keep building on it because you won't yep. you won't be able to do it all in one go, but you can have plans for them over the years to to keep making the most of it and and improving how you work with data. For sure. Yep. Fact. Press. Yeah, just one final thought, Billy, based on something you mm -hmm. said just a second ago in terms of your archiving. Yeah. concept we've done the same thing in in, in, yeah. in using a data warehouse um and i think what you have to be clear about is that none of the systems are on the market i don't think offer you know a full deep-seated analytics capability where you're taking data from from other sources that are not from that ehr uh yeah. from external sources so you want a space and this probably goes into sean's question anyway about you, you want a space where you can aggregate data from uh, from multiple sources, and that may be clinical, non-clinical, primary yes. care data, etc. So, so investing in a data warehouse environment, uh, call it a trusted data environment outside of your EHR, mm -hmm. is, I think, really important. And it, it appears you've already come to that conclusion. But, but, but <laughs> something that we've uh, uh, that, that we're certainly moving towards at GSTT. Yeah, Sean, did you have something to add? It, it, it does um, actually tie into to my question, doesn't it? Um, and it's yeah getting that part right i think is is important and recognizing that as a a future proofing as well in terms of how much space you're going to need and and what technology you should use and, and things like that of all kind of things that we um that we're going through at the moment as well so um yeah kind of leads quite nicely into Basically my question on. if i'm next yeah yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah and your question sean um a big part of our data strategy is the development of a single data platform for the trust we are writing a proposal to review this in support of our strategy does your data strategy include something similar so if you want to give us a bit of context yeah so so we um we implemented our or upgraded our epr system to Cerner. Um, Millennium in 2021, um, and we reviewed our data strategy at the same time, um, and and we've uh, we've actually reviewed it again because of how much how much how much has changed over those two years. I mean, it was before I was I was here, but there there so there was a, a need for review in that sense anyway. But um, a big part of that is do we have the capabilities and the platform to to provide all of the things that we want in our data strategy and we kind of know that we don't already so um what 
I'm trying to find out from other people other trusts is is how you've gone about that in your data stress you have gone about that in your organization um what kind of technology are you using what what um what is the general outline of the plan um because we're we're essentially looking to do a single data platform which is accessible as chris said by by you don't you don't have to be massively technical to get the data out and work with it so it kind of it opens up that um kind of the scope for how you can work with data and who can who can provide it so yeah over to you guys um i i can answer i can to sort of speak about this, I suppose, uh, on this uh, show. So, uh, like, uh, we're trying to establish a, a data platform in our environments as well. Um, as I said, we're bridging these two um, to EHR, this patient administration and EHR systems. Uh, but we actually have we have a we have one, two, we have, we have three kind of main sites that we need to kind of um, combine our data and to have that kind of single place where. Often it's called a single source of truth. Um, so yeah, I mean the the main thing you need to do is is the data architecture. It's that you know it's building that sort of data warehouse model, which is something um, that is constantly evolving. So it's more to do about establishing the the groundwork and the framework to work within, uh, and then once you kind of get the fundamental kind of um, you know things that you want to measure and the the how you want to look at those measures and how you want to track activity uh, across the different systems. Uh, once you kind of establish that kind of the foundation elements of that, then you're just constantly building on that afterwards. It's it's mostly about about building that foundation. In terms of like making data uh, accessible and and getting the most out of it and getting the intelligence out of data, it's absolutely essential to get the architecture right uh, or to get it as right as you can, because uh, particularly when you start to try to drive decisions based upon data, uh, if the data is wrong, if there's rubbish going in, you're going to get rubbish coming out at the other end. So that's the, the old cliche, but it, it is very much the case. And your your management teams, your your executives, your your clinicians, they're going to make incorrect decisions if the data isn't right. Often the case is that there's a perception that it's to do how people entering the data into systems, but it's also incredibly important that you have a consistent and clear way of how you read that data out of those systems. So, I mean, I would say there's there's a lot of literature, there's a lot of um, a lot of people and, and, and professionals, and there's lots of other things that you know about data warehousing um, methodologies, and uh, that's a kind of a really good ba base and foundation to to go with before before you kind of go into the kind of more advanced analytics. So, that's kind of where I'll be coming from on uh, this on this this kind of topic. Chris, over to you. Yeah, I th I think it's moving towards a single data environment that's outside of your EHR, as I said previously, is 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 definitely what we're trying to do at GSTT. Um, so when I joined the trust in July 22, we had a number of data environments, uh, and we've gone live with with more than one data environment. We have a. a, a uh, an environment that's that's optimized for reporting, but we also have a much wider enterprise data warehouse, which uh, does take uh, data feeds from from other sources that are non-clinical as well as clinical. And um, we've partnered uh, with a company that allows us to have um, uh, an efficient uh, uh, 
uh, in this case, um, ELT process, so extract load transform uh, rather than extract transform load. Um, and that ingestion engine allows us to, to quite quickly take new data sources in. Um, so for instance, during our, our um, uh, uh, training phase uh, to go live with Epic, we needed uh, a much wider set of training data. So we ingested the data from our learning management system, uh, enabling analysts to produce uh, reporting much more quickly um, in a dashboard style that could be shared with trust executives and other senior leaders to see how, how we're doing on the training front, because getting your training right for any EHR go live is absolutely critical. Mm -hmm. um, so having that single environment where you can do lots of different things with the same data, um, I think is 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 important. Um, so we are about to move into an environment where we're going to look at our options for um, for developing a, what we're calling our trusted data environment, um, and that trusted data environment will ultimately be be one. Uh, warehouse environment uh, that allows us to do reporting, analytics, research, um, um, you know, other uses of data. Um, and we'll have the capability of taking data from our primary pinnacle system, in our case, Epic, um, as well as, as as other systems, whether that be uh, ingested um, uh, direct ingestion links uh, with things like our learning management system, with mm -hmm. um, uh, our um, HR systems, with finance systems, etc. Um, but also, you know, the capability to take a flat file. Um, from systems where you can't get a direct connection, perhaps with, you know, um, One London um, uh, for primary care data, etc. Um, and an example of where we were using that before our Epic Go Live in that enterprise environment, that's allowed us to go uh, live with a uh, in a pilot phase with a project called Data Load Prioritization, which gives us the ability to prioritise our diabetes patients. Um, we have uh, good patient engagement in that, um, and it. it um, it was just a new way of looking at how we use data so that uh, it's been clinically led so that clinicians can 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 more quickly uh, prioritize uh, a particular waiting list for a particular uh, issue based on clinical need um and and the change the rapidly changing clinical need uh based on the latest set of obs that might have been received from a primary care appointment etc um but you, in order to achieve that, you need that single environment where you can take lots of different data sources. So that's what we we really want. Um, we haven't decided what that's going to be yet. I mean, broadly, there are three options. We could develop it in-house, you know, mm -hmm. on some of the systems we've already got with our, you know, some of our excellent colleagues that are able to do that. We could uh, carry on with our existing partner um, and expand that use. Um, or we could go to uh, to the market and, and look for a, a, you know another third party uh, to help us uh, manage that environment. So we're just going through those decision points at the moment, um, uh, and I'm not going to mention any company names here, so I don't uh, <laughs> prejudice anything. Um, but 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 we are. Um, uh, I think the strategic direction, and we're just finalising our updated data and analytics strategy at the moment. Um, is pushing us in that direction. And I think that's the right thing to do. I think to become comfortable with that, you need to um, uh, make sure you consider people um, and and try not to let the technology decision drive you in a certain way unless you are, are understanding how people will be impacted. And when I mean people, I mean patients, staff, both clinical and non-clinical, whether they be analysts, you know, operational managers, 
people who are going to use the data for whatever purpose. Yeah. So getting that really good engagement from from your stakeholders, I think, is key. You know, I need to use data for X. I need to use data for Y. Um, and understanding that the source of that data is, in many cases, going to be the same starting point. Um, but it's then how you use the data and having clear governance frameworks so that the people who are responsible for external reporting know that they're responsible for external reporting and somebody else isn't trying to compete with that so you don't get two versions of the truth flying around. Um, that if somebody's building an analytical model um, to, to try and predict which patients might might not attend an appointment, you might be happier with a lower or with a wider range of data sets where the single version of the truth is less important, perhaps. Um, so it's knowing what you're using data for, where governance need to apply is applied, what the frameworks are, and be, again, it's back to this transparency point, being clear across the organisation who's doing what. And I think the other thing that you know moving towards is is being able to identify you know, the responsible line up to the single sort of single executive that has ultimate responsibility for how you use data within your organization. Um, Thanks, Chris. Over to you, Billy. Yeah, just kind of following up on what Chris was saying, you know, he's mentioning about people there uh, towards the end. Um, I mean, when you're actually thinking about the actual technology in terms of what you what this kind of single data platform would be, it's actually more driven about the, the people, the, the architects. It's about listening to what the end users want to look at and how they want to look at it. And that's actually where you should start your architecture from. You should It, it shouldn't be driven by uh, some kind of out-of-the-box technical solution. It actually should be coming from how the clinicians, how the doctors, how the nurses understand the activities in the hospital. And that should then drive the architecture that you've got as well. And also a really important part of any kind of good data platform is that it should be source agnostic. So even though you're using Cerner or you're using Epic or any other kind of uh, you know, patient administration system or electronic healthcare system, that shouldn't actually be the thing that drives how you understand the data. How you should understand the data is, you know, what do people do every day and how do you want to look at that? How do you want to measure what's happening? And how do you how do you want to look at those measurements? How do you want to describe them to the, those different peoples? That's a really fundamental part of when you're starting out with a, with a good data architecture that's going to be robust and it will last for a long time and it will actually last beyond your, your current uh E e EPR electronic or electronic patient system, you know, so it's it's worth keeping in mind. So it's always really important to kind of get the right people, uh, you know, the right kind of uh, data architects, data modelers, ETL developers or ELT developers or data engineers. I think they're called these days. Those kind of people really really essential to any kind of project in these, and and they have a, they definitely have a good understanding of what people do. Uh, in the hospital, what the purpose of the hospital is and what you're trying to achieve as a hospital. So all those things are really essential in any type of uh, data platform project. And in fact, the technology, you know, will, will you'll, you'll find what technical, what kind of what kind of software, what kind of architecture, what kind of systems you need to, to deliver that then will, will fall from that. So it's, it's an important thing to remember. Yeah, that's, re that's really helpful. Um, thank you. Some, yeah, really great um, 
comments and from experiences i think as well um yeah a, a big part of it's not just the re review of the architecture as you say it's is yes yeah, so how we're actually going to build it who's going to do it what do they need to do how much time it's going to take them um all these things as well but then yeah what you don't think about and what we've tried to do in our data strategy is think about the engagement and people that are that is for um and it's yeah. so it's everyone's data strategy including patients as well so yeah. um yeah so but yeah thank you <laughs> thank you um has anyone got anything else to add before we move on to chris's question i i think just one more thing and i think it, that's avoiding again it's this this theme of underestimating the effort that is involved in getting this right um it's something that needs you know top level executive buy-in yes. and if you look at it from a sort of i know from a managing successful programs perspective you know if anyone's done msp and you've got you've got that external ring of strategic alignment that's got to be your starting point you know everyone's mm -hmm. got to want to do this and everyone's got yeah. to say we're doing this because of xyz and and you don't want people saying yeah but that's my data I, I do reporting. I don't want anyone else to be able to look at that data, you know, or that's my data. I do research, and I don't want anyone else to be able to access that data. So you need, I think, you need to have this this concept of of, of alignment where you're going to have the data. That doesn't mean that you have a free for all and it's the sort of wild west. You know, you have governance frameworks that that manage that space, but ultimately the trust the healthcare organization the hospital needs to understand what it wants to do you know and if you take the hymns sort of uh, data maturity model you know you want to get as high up that that scale as possible um so that you know we move towards individualized healthcare in the future where somebody's uh, healthcare is based on the data about them you know um and i remember going to a presentation last year uh, i think by john hopkins you know saying that you know there are certain conditions that we screen for that that some individuals carry a gene which would mean that they don't need to be screened for that particular yeah. uh, uh um uh, uh issue so if you can identify who that who they who those people are you can remove them from a screening program saving time money effort <clears throat> etc so there's all sorts of things we can do but i think we've got to get the basics right you've got to get people comfortable with using data understanding what the governance frameworks are and understanding that you can have this data warehouse or this data environment that gives you the ability to do lots of different things but you've got to govern it and you've got to have a clear sense of strategic direction i think yeah very true everything yeah thank you okay so let's move on to your question chris um, so you wanted to discuss how do we continue to ensure our patients have a voice as we continue to leverage data in new and innovative ways? Yeah, thanks, Ali. Um, as a relatively newbie to the National Health Service, it's clear that that the amount of data that we hold is just immense, and and you know we're collecting it by the second. You know, every person that comes through the front door you know, is is either adding to their record or if it's a new record, if it's a new patient. And I think as a as a patient in the UK, and I'm sure the same applies to Ireland as well, you you, know, you just you have no concept of what is being collected and what data we hold on people. And for some people that's um something that people are comfortable with. You know, I use the NHS app all the time. My GP is excellent. Uh, I can book all of my appointments through the app. I can reorder my prescriptions. Um, it, it's been an absolute game changer in accessibility uh, in my primary care 
um, area um, and has made seeing a GP so much easier than it used to be. Um, and I remember signing up to the app and you have to click on the bit where it says, are you willing to share your data? And I said, I didn't even give it a second thought because I sort of trusted the organization as in the NHS to look after it. So I click yes. But I know that doesn't apply to everybody and people have got questions and we need to be able to use the data that we have all these new and innovative ways, whether it be predictive analytics, whether it's moving towards better population health management or better personalized uh, healthcare in the future. But knowing that we've got to we've got to we've got to take the people who are not comfortable with us on that journey. So how do we do that? How do we ensure that people's data is safe? Uh, that we are compliant with both national legislation and 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 the, and, and the relevant health authority standards. Um, 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 but not lose the opportunity to to leverage the data that we have to improve people's lives. Yeah, uh, I think uh, yeah, absolutely, Chris. I mean, I think there's there's huge opportunities in healthcare with data, um, and I think uh, you know, obviously, people are skeptical and they're they're fearful of of what you can do, and and obviously, data breaches and issues with with that can happen. I mean. I suppose, I suppose whenever you, you are doing analytics, uh, when you're building your data platform and, and what kind of thing of that, as much as possible, where practical, you 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 know anonymize the data as much yeah. as you can. So so therefore, uh, and you, you, there's there's some fantastic new uh, functionality in the latest databases which are on the market now, which allow you to anonymize data to to as granular a level as possible and secure it as well so that the right people are getting the right access. Mm. So that does take work though. I mean, and you do need to configure, you know, I know in, in Microsoft Azure certainly, and I presume obviously in AWS and in other kind of database and, and cloud technologies, you can put various different layers of security in there, and I think that's what's what's very interesting in in, in engaging these kind of vendors now. That's always that's almost the first thing that they talk about is you know how secure this is and how you secure it and how you make sure that it that it that it that it's right. I think once you can kind of assure yourself that the the right level of security and anonymity is there with the data, then I think you know you can you can do a lot of different things with it and you, it's like you're saying earlier as well with regards to the to the um going to the new kind of project you know, of these kind of new electronic health system record systems it's always being about transparent as transparent as possible with your patients and with any of your your customers whoever it is whatever organization you're in you have to be obviously as transparent as you possibly can be uh with what you're going to do with the data i mean there's a lot of things that you can do with data that you may not even know you could do yet i mean there's that great uh, example of london mesh i think it was 10 years ago when they um they were looking at data from the national grid to work out where um, recording uh, phone recordings were made. And it was, it was a fascinating case, but it is an example of where data is being recorded about things that are happening or certain activities are happening. And you can once you kind of link these kind of different activities and these different ways of recording, you can actually build up a picture of something that you may not have even known you could have done even a few months ago or a few years ago. Yeah. So that that's a that's a this this phenomenal opportunities of data and particularly in healthcare. But you know, um it's it's almost like you, you kind of have to treat the data that you've got from the patient as 
you know, as carefully as possible. And, you know, wherever you know, anonymize it, aggregate it where you can, just, you know, particularly for the whoever's going to do that in-depth analysis, just make sure that it's, you know, unless they absolutely have to, and they've got a very clear reason to, and a legal reason they can, that they can get access to identifiable data, you know? So it's, um, it's it's always something that's really fundamental in this case, um, and I think once you can kind of make your make your policies transparent and you know as much as you can in terms of what you're going to use it, then I think people will build up the trust with you to be able to say, yeah, you know, I think I can trust this organisation, I can trust this trust. Excuse the pun, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but they, um, they, they, uh, but certainly they, you know, they'll be more happy to engage uh, when, when needs be, you know. But certainly there's this huge opportunities in regards to what we can do with with data and healthcare. I, I actually think we're only we're only at the start, you know. Yeah. Scratching yeah. the surface, I think. Absolutely. There's this enormous amounts of stuff we could do. And actually as well, like, you know, you mentioned earlier as well, Chris, I think you said about certain people say, I do this kind of report. These are my reports and I, I look after that. I think as well, there's, there's also an element, there's also something people kind of have to understand is that, you know, sharing data and getting and sharing the data you've got with other people and then uh, making it more open in fact makes your role and make your it, it expands your insights as well so it's it's always a good thing to be able to uh you know where legally okay and it's it's you know it's it's, it's perfectly fine you know sharing that data within it, your 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 fellow colleagues in, in an organization can have huge benefits for yourself as well so it's 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 important that everyone knows that, that those kind of things yeah that really good point billy thanks yeah. Thanks, Billy. Sean, have you got anything to add? Yeah, I think um, it's the same same thing as you'd expect here. That we there is um, the governance around it is is just ever increasing um, in terms of um, patient data. Um, we're um, yeah we're we're going through that process and and trying to it was part of our data strategy is to, is to try to think how we can set up a framework for that uh, and have a data governance that is kind of a subgroup of information governance and and have that kind of regular contact and discussion around it so that we learn and, and build on it each time and we're not going through the same process and um and that's just on a local level because we there's i seem to be i don't know whether it's just i don't know coincidence but it's just so many more requests from external organizations from from sector-wide nation, nation, you know, nationally um for our data um and data sharing agreements and and things like yeah. that that we're getting requested because they see like you say the potential of of working with as a group as a multiple multiple sources of data to get that in, that real insight into um yeah. what's going on and answer those questions um so yeah, it's becoming an, an even bigger part of our of our jobs. Mm. I think to try and get that right. Um, yeah, but like you say, the potential of it is there. Um, so, so it's you. You definitely want to be involved in it and 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 trying to make things better. But um, yeah, I I think that from a from the patient side, I think it's um it, it's how you it's how you make it available to them um so that it makes sense and um how you um I guess. Yeah. Provide it in that format that, that it does actually make is actually useful to them, um, yeah. because because often with the the information we present, it's probably since COVID as well. I think that it's, it's like the interest in data has just gone up so much um, externally, um, 
but you have to present it in that form that it means something even more it's it it's um it's yeah it's, it's definitely challenged us a lot more but i think we're all kind of better for it in that sense um so but it's how you find a way of sharing it safely isn't it yeah yeah absolutely yeah. agree um i think the the um <clears throat> you know if you yes i sit on our um uh our ethics research ethics um steering group and our uh our clinical research advisory group and we have patient representatives on that on both of those groups so that you know if a new research request for data comes in from within the trust or, uh from colleagues who wants to you know test our hypothesis we have that patient engagement at that level now obviously it's not the individual patients whose data is being used but it's it's a representative uh group that can that can you know put those patient views forward and of course we always anonymize and and, and anonymize data as as far as we can as you said billy um yes. um and it's you know you there are multiple unique identifiers that that make data if you want to do a longitudinal study going back many years with with long data sets doesn't necessarily mean that the, the person the analyst the researcher looking at that has any idea which patient they're looking at yep. it's just that they know it's been the same patient throughout so you can yep. see how a disease has progressed or a condition has progressed etc over time um so i think that that's clear but i was i think being transparent with with people and again as a new person to the nhs maybe this was just my naivety i'd always assumed before i joined that if i went to a hospital in uh, Newcastle, if I am to be up there and I broke my leg, they'd be able to look me up and see loads of stuff. And you sort of only realise once you're in the system that isn't isn't the case. Yeah. And that the yeah. NHS, whilst it's a, a single entity, is also not a single entity because we're all sovereign trusts in the in the UK system. Um, and that, you know, even we have a data sharing group with KCH, even though we're on the same um, Epic instance. Um, you know, so it's much more, it's a much more complicated picture than the average member of the public uh appreciates as well yeah. and of course we've got to remain compliant with gdpr with uh with other relevant legislation um uh um so that we can we can meet those legal requirements and nhs requirements um but but the potential that you can you can build by having access to good quality wide-ranging yeah. longitudinal data sets uh, to enable you to, to to the people who are far more intelligent than I, than I am in terms of, of of coming up with the the analysis and developing the research tools to to answer particular hypotheses and and uh, and come up with good predictive modelling uh, is immense. Uh, we used it yeah. a lot. We used our EDW during COVID a lot to help with things, uh, whether that be identifying high risk patients for for vaccination when the vaccination uh, program started to roll out, whether that was identifying patients more quickly for our COVID medicines delivery unit. Um, and I think having effective use of data helped GSTT have a relatively good set of COVID outcomes for our patient mm -hmm. population because we're willing to use that data um, safely, you know, compliantly, but also quickly and with um, alacrity so that you can you can say, I think if we try this, this might help. Um, so you've got to get that balance of innovation and safety and governance right. It's not an easy one to win, and, and but you've got to you've got to keep working at it. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting just to mention on data governance. I mean, obviously earlier I did mention a question I looked myself, but um, I think one of my colleagues, 
uh, speaking about because I I come from I don't like like yourself, Chris. I actually don't really come from a healthcare background. I'm I'm only in in the matter of private three years, but um. Uh, yeah, like data governance and other organizations, it depends on the size of the organization and how, um, you know, how much, I suppose, scrutiny and how much legal kind of uh, requirements they've got. But ordinarily, data, it depends on the size of the organization, but data governance doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily a, a full-time role for somebody. It might be something that's incorporated yeah. into their job and, and, and they, they may be... Uh, Every once once a month, they'll they'll chair a data governance committee or something like that, and you'd have data stewards in different areas of the organisation. A colleague of mine is ta- I was talking to to her about this, and she was saying what you find in hospitals is something like that wouldn't really work because if you have like a data steward in a in a particular operating theatere or or whatever it is in the, in the nursing team in, in the hospital it's always hands on, all hands on deck in any hospital. So it's kind of like, oh, I need to do my kind of work where I'm just making sure people are entering the data in right into the system. They're just going, yeah, okay, look, we'll worry about that next month. And, you know, we've got X, Y, and Z to do today, and it's everyone all on that. And I believe that there's a kind of a role that's kind of developed, certainly in Ireland, I'll presume more generally, um, just in health informatics, and it's actually making that, prof- that a, an identifiable profession or an identifiable job within a hospital is that you exclusively just do this kind of ensuring that the health information is correct. So it's an interesting thing for myself um, to, to to see i'm not sure if this is something which is across the wider kind of hospital network or other you know, environments um so yeah it's, it's an interesting kind of thing but definitely data governance is one of those things where it needs it definitely needs clout and it needs backing from the most senior people in in your trust and then uh, in any organization um and it needs teeth you know and it needs people mm. to be able to do that but uh but uh, i think i suppose within a hospital you know, on the floor because you can have a data governor and they might be sort of sitting in an office and they're just, you know, they're detached from the day-to-day reality. You do actually have to have some sense of data governance on the floor and people understanding that they have to make sure that they're getting the right data into the system and that they they ensure that why it's important to record the data correctly. And trying to get those messages across has to be something that, that that's on a regular basis, that's shared among nursing teams, shared among clinician teams, uh, that, that they understand that, that, that it's important to do these things correctly. So it's a, it's a challenge. And I think it's a, it's, you know, I think it's important for hospitals to understand, yes, you, you do need to make sure that if someone is, uh, if they if they do have some kind of data stewardship in in their role, that they have the time to do that and the time to check that the data is right and that the data is accurate because it's it's a hugely important part of it. So it's a uh, sorry, <laughs> just wanted to, to to add on to that there. Yeah, I think that's even more mm. apt with with modern EHR systems where yeah. you know people are you're entering at the bedside you're entering data directly into the system um and that data is, is then in and is being used um so um uh, the time taken by clinicians to do that mm. the tools that we can help whether that's structured data using terminologies such as nomad ct yeah. um so that you can you can have a, a structured way of doing that um how you uh, um, manage your unstructured data in terms of of, of, of just the written word and, and how you yeah. find data points within that so yeah all, all of that i think is so important and there's so much going on and everybody's so busy all of the time yeah. you know providing 
you know, high quality clinical care to thousands of patients. Um, but you can't lose sight of that, uh, uh, of the importance of what you've just said. Thank you. Has anyone got anything else to add before we finish? Uh, just actually, Chris, you mentioned SNOMED CT, and I think that's something we're looking at as well in our in our um, in our new EHR system. So, I mean, from what I've read and what I've, I've, I've understood, it's, it's, it sounds like a very exciting development. Although I have kind of seen similar kind of XML type standards in the past, <laughs> which it, maybe not have, have been as successful. But this, it, it's it's something I think that if enough hospitals and enough health organizations buy into that and start to understand it it's a it's a really really interesting and exciting kind of uh, uh thing, thing and uh, i'm hoping that it's something that takes off you know i I, th I think it certainly will within the nhs because i mean it's yeah. a, it's a it's a nationally mandated policy yeah. now um and and trust will need to move towards it over time um yeah. it gives you that that structure that you need um it's a common language mm -hmm. uh the terms are in you know, we've put a lot of effort into trying to get you know that that structured sort of drop down menu if you like of conditions yeah. right uh in the front end of the epr because it helps you get that quality data in because as we said at the start mm -hmm. uh, of this discussion you know if you're not getting quality in you're not going to yeah. get quality out um and it helps with coding um and there's all sorts of benefits uh to effective use of terminologies and, and in this case snowmed yeah so it's a it's an interesting development hopefully hopefully it'll really take off so it'll better i think the thing for a lot of patients they've got to understand is that will actually massively benefit patients experience um and i think all of our all of our health will improve if snowmed is becomes you know uh, it becomes throughout the world and everyone starts using it <laughs> we'll, we'll all benefit from it so it's something which i think uh, uh hopefully on a, on a higher scale like in the nhs level and across other um health executives around europe and, and the rest of the world i'm hoping that they really they they, they, they really push for it you know and um, because it is a it is a if it becomes ubiquitous then i think all, all patients will, will will benefit from it so Definitely. I'm a big advocate for it. Before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thanks so much to all of our guests for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation. If you are hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured in a future podcast, you can drop me a message. I am Ellie Fox and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at ellie.fox at evolution-contract.co.uk or visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK forward slash NHS. Thanks again to all our guests and thank you for listening.